Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Then it's Thanksgiving week. We've got Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. It's sort of like the kickoff of the holiday season, isn't yeah. it? Just sort of the agreed upon kickoff of the holiday season. Uh, I got family rolling into town. We're going to, you know, do it up with the bird and everything. Although I will admit there's been some conflict between the younger folks and the boomers about what exactly to do for Thanksgiving. I was wondering about you. Most of your family is out of the state. They don't live here. Obviously, you have your children and whatnot. But what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? Well, I am going to cook a whole lot of food that my children will probably eat maybe 5% of when you get everything actually on the dinner table. I I told both my daughters, I was like... Name me one thing you absolutely want to see on the table for Thanksgiving dinner. Something that, this is a binding agreement, you will agree to eat if I make sure it's at the meal. My oldest daughter said macaroni and cheese. Okay, you can make that work for Thanksgiving. You can do a slightly fancier version of the usual macaroni and cheese for Thanksgiving. Sure, I can work with that. The youngest one said rolls. Okay, yeah, no, so, rolls, that's perfectly fine She's going to eat probably three, four rolls and call it good <laughs> on Thanksgiving. You know what I'm not about to do over here for Thanksgiving, Chad, as I have not done for several years? I'm not messing around with the turkey. Yeah, the turkey understandable, frankly. The turkey is garbage. It's just the worst part of the Thanksgiving meal. I don't know how we got started on that. I think that we should all give ourselves the freedom to move away from that. You'll recall, I think, what, maybe last year I did a prime rib, and Mm -hmm. that was excellent. I'm probably just going to mess around and do that again and maybe even improve upon my recipe last time because I'm telling you, that was fantastic. Prime rib is always good. I normally try to roll a prime rib out for Christmas. This year we were sort of like the young – we're going to cook at my house to take the meal-making process out of the hands of my parents and put it in the hands of capable adults. Wow. And because uh, we want to sit down and eat at some Shots point. Shots fired. Right? We want to be able to have the Thanksgiving dinner some point before midnight. And so we're going to do it. And my brother and my sister-in-law, his family are coming to town. And so that brought up this whole discussion of like, do we even want to do the traditional dinner? Do we want to have the turkey? Because you're right about the turkey. I'm not going to say it's trash. I'm not going to go quite Street as far as garbage. folks. But like it's it's not the greatest. It's not the best thing you can do. So we were talking about alternative Thanksgiving dinner, and then basically the boomers rolled in and they were like, "We will riot. We will riot if we do not get our beloved turkey." 
Really? So, yeah, now things are a little bit up in the air. We ha- we have a turkey. We're trying to figure out if we can do a turkey and do some kind of alternative sides. So we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's a lot of upheaval. Yeah. These are the think, Thanksgiving dinner. Do you think this is sincere love of turkey, the dry-ass bird that comes to ruin Thanksgiving? Or do you think it's just tradition? I think it's hearkening back for days that never were. Right. Wow. I did not. I'll tell you what. I did not come into this episode of the co-main event expecting to hear such blistering attacks at your own family. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Yeah, well, yeah, but you're going after the birds. You're going after the turkeys themselves. So you know, don't you think if you were a turkey, you would kind of be all for it if somebody spearheaded a campaign that you shouldn't eat us? <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, good point. Good point. I didn't realize what a I would say humanitarian, but that doesn't seem like the right the right descriptor. So friend of friend of foul. Yeah. Ben folks. Anyway, on to business. We had UFC fight night, Allen versus Craig on Saturday night from the apex down there in Las Vegas. Brendan Allen gets a pretty big middleweight win over Paul Craig dominant. If you ask me, we also had the night before on Friday, Bellator 301, A couple of new champions crowned, Jason Jackson and Patchy Mix in the welterweight and bantamweight divisions. And we will discuss, oh, the irony of that a little bit later in the show, because we now know. Well, I guess it seems like Bellator will trundle on. It's rumored to trundle on as a zombie version of itself, according to the press release that came out from the PFL earlier today. So we'll... We'll talk about that coming up here a little bit later in the show. Uh, sale to the PFL confirmed this morning. Let's just let's say all that right up front. But yeah, we will have a lot to talk about, even though it's a week that the UFC is taking off. They won't put a fight night on this weekend for Thanksgiving, but they return on December 2nd with a fight night that features that's US, UFC on ESPN. We're going to have uh, Benil Dariush fight Armand Sarukian. In the main event of that, this is actually a decent card. You got Dan Hooker, Bobby Green, Rob Font, Davison Figueredo, Sean Brady, Kelvin Gastelum, Punahela Soriano, uh, Khalil Roundtree, you know, no names. Guys you know are on this card. So that might be one to look forward to. But we got enough pressing business this week to fill up this hour. So we're going to get on to all of that coming up in the next 60 minutes. Remember, though, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries. But if you're not satisfied with this, if you're not sated, if you don't feel comfortable inside, like you've just eaten a big Thanksgiving dinner, you can go ahead and check us out over on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are over there all week, most weeks putting on a week of fabulous content patreon.com slash co-main event we do audio we do video you can get access to the cme's official discord message board if you're curious but you don't want to jump in all the way everybody knows right now we're offering seven day free trials at the five dollar level you can dip your toe in absolutely free check out all the content happening over there take a look and then decide if you want to join up for real We don't have the backing of a big parent company or one of the MMA websites. We're just two guys talking into a microphone. We've been doing it for over a decade. We can only keep the show going with your support. Help keep the CME alive by joining up to become part of the community over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Another great way to support the show is by going to our website, co-mainevent.com and checking out our merchandise shop. We got all kinds of cool stuff over there. We already been suggesting you could pick up the daddest man on the planet mugs. For the guy in your life you don't know what to buy for come Christmas. That people, I'll tell you what, people have been scooping up the daddest man on the planet mugs, Ben. They're flying off the shelves over there. Uh, so we're, we're happy about that. A lot of people going to get some good gifts this year. Yeah. You know, just imagine the eyes lighten up Christmas morn when you unwrap that daddest man on the planet. Because you're looking at it and you're like, wait, does that say baddest man on the planet? I mean, I feel like I, I'm kind of a tough guy, but I don't know if that... Wait, no, daddest man. Oh, I see what you've done here, and it's delightful. Yeah, yeah. We got t-shirts, we got hats, we got hoodies. You can get it all over at the Co-Main Event Podcast merchandise shop. Go to comainevent.com and click the link at the top of the page that says shop. As always, we partner with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. They are a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough 
for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our guy Dennis Pham, a self-described, quote, day one co-maniac from San Diego. He writes a song every few years. He's got a single out called The Fire, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Music and all other major music streaming platforms. We'll give you a taste of that today on the show. Three rounds, as usual, this week on the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Scotty Cokes suddenly wakes up with a start and realizes he's fallen asleep in his desk chair. He looks around and sees he's sitting in his office at Strikeforce. It's 2011 and he smiles to himself, thinking, wow, I just had the strangest dream. (laughs) And in round number two, Brendan Allen runs his win streak up with a lopsided beating of Paul Craig. And I'm not sure what else to say about that. And in round number three, you know, it's funny how fighters go from being pretty cool about it right after a fight to immediately having opinions and making demands a few days later. Looking at you, Tom Aspinall. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Have you signed up for your NordVPN deal exclusively through the co-main event? If you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have it. We use it all the time. Ben, I know you like telling people about your favorite parts of NordVPN. What do you love about it? Well, Chad, you know. My favorite part is the way it kicks on to protect you as you bounce from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi, especially on those weekends where you're a man about town, as I was this week. We went to the Cat Grizz game, took it in there, uh, watched our beloved Montana Grizzlies win a big game. doesn't matter if you're standing in the parking lot of the press box bar, drinking yourself a Bud Light from a plastic cup at 10 o'clock in the morning. Doesn't matter, Chad, if you're then bouncing on over to the Albertsons to consider uh, picking up a a 12-pack of beer before you realize everybody else in the city had the same idea at the exact same time. Doesn't then matter, Chad, if you are popping into the local Taco Bell to get yourself yourself right after a busy day of drinking beer, watching Grizzly football. NordVPN has you covered. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. With the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. Sign up right now for any of NordVPN's handy two-year plans and get an additional four months for free by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain. Just be sure you use those handy exclusive CME links. That's nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain, all one word. That includes all the two-year plans. Standard plus, complete, whatever you go for. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com and use the code comain. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from uh, Jay Gargiulo. He writes... Saturday night's UFC card was nothing if not skippable, but one matchup caught my attention. Chase Hooper versus Jordan Levitt. Two lovably dorky grapplers with strong, quote, each other's only friend vibes. Oh, wow. The fight did not disappoint, immediately descending to the mat with plenty of slick groundwork before Hooper locked up the rear naked choke just three minutes into the fight. His grappling is clearly excellent, and he said he felt much better at 155. What do you think the ceiling is for the no longer teenage dream at lightweight? Is it possible for a specialist to climb the ranks in such a stacked division? This is, you know what? This is a great point about Chase Hooper versus Jordan Levitt. A couple of guys we can all agree on. Uh, Chase Hooper goes out there, gets the submission win in the first round. That's two in a row for him since he lost to Steve Garcia back in October of 2022. But of course, since then, he has moved up to lightweight and he's won these two in a row. Says he feels like it's a better weight class for him. I am not going to sit here and tell you that Chase Hooper is a former champion or future champion. We know he's not a former champion. I don't have to tell you that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's not a, he, that he's a future champion. But I think he's a fun guy that everybody likes and can have in the division. And you know what he's going to give you. 
He's going to go out there and give you, give you a little bit of a fun fight with some fun grappling. He's going to win some. He's going to lose some. But I like having him around. I like having him around too. But if the core question here from Jake Arjulio is, is can a specialist climb the ranks at a division like lightweight, especially if that specialist is jujitsu? Well, I don't know, man. The, I mean, I think that you can have some fun fights. You can put on some good performances that way. But are we talking, can you make it into the top five at lightweight with just jujitsu? I Sadly, I have to say no. Especially at that weight class. Because you're just going to run up against a lot of people who are going to be pretty good at not getting taken down. And it's not like Chase Super has amazing wrestling. And his striking... It's still in the realm that we would generously refer to as improved. You know, it's not blowing your hair back. It's not as bad as we've seen it, you know, when earlier in his development. He's still, you know, a young guy can still develop a lot in that area. But if you get up against some of the tougher dudes in this division, especially a lot of the guys who come from wrestling backgrounds, and there are many in this division, I just don't know if you're going to be able to get those guys down. And then if you can't, what do you do on the feet? I, that's the part. I mean, I, I agree that I like having them around. You know I like having a dorky submission specialist. That is my whole shit right there. So obviously I'm glad we have a Chase Hooper around. I just don't know if with that alone, you can really, really ascend the ranks at a division like this. Yeah. The good news is there's so many guys there at lightweight that you could probably put together a bunch of fun matchups for Chase if that's what If that's what the UFC wants to do for him. Because it does feel like, didn't it feel like what they were doing with the Jordan Levitt thing? Where they're like, this guy yeah. likes to grapple. He's another kind of fun, offbeat sort of personality for the MMA space. Let's put them together and see what happens. Yeah, I think that is what it is. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'll just lay this on you right here, Ben. Drew Dober. Renato Moicano, Bobby Green, Benoit Saint-Denis, Jalen Turner, Rafael Dos Anjos. Did I say anyone's name that we think Chase Hooper could beat? See, I thought you were going to suggest Drew Dober versus Chase Hooper, and I was like, don't do that. Don't do that to Chase. No. You know? I wouldn't suggest that. But I didn't say any names that we feel like Chase Hooper could beat, correct? Probably not. No. That are the lightweights between 10 and 15 on the lightweight. Jesus. So that gives you an idea what you're dealing with here in terms of the competitive nature of this division. But like, I don't know if you're Chase Hooper, obviously you want to be the champion. You want to ride as high as you can. You want to do the best you can. You want to make what you can out of your UFC career. Like, I don't know, man, fighting guys like Jordan Levitt, getting on the main card, having people watch you, making some money. That seems pretty good for a guy like Chase Hooper. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, better to win that fight than to lose it, obviously. And he looked good in it and everything. So, yeah, no problem there. If you made Drew Dober go out there and fight Chase Hooper, he would knock him out and then he would post an Instagram pic where he has his shirt unbuttoned and his pants two sizes too small, but he's sad. He's sad about it. He's dreamy yeah. yet sad and also promoting some kind of specialty coffee uh, yeah. while he he tells you how bad it made him feel to have to do that to Chase Hooper. So let's, let's just not. Yeah, no, I understand that I made you ride an emotional roller coaster there yeah. just Oof. by mentioning Drew Dober's name. Let me mention another name to you, though, and this is a guy that I am suggesting as a potential future opponent for Chase Hooper. I want to get your uh, get your take on this. Patrick Angus Pimblett. <laughs> okay, first of all, how am I finding out only now at this late hour that Angus is his middle name? You know how you're finding that out? Because I just made it up. Well, now I'm sad because now <laughs> I was that that brought me such joy. No, I just looked at uh, Patty Pimblett's Wikipedia page hoping to get a middle name, but it just says Patrick Pimblett. And I said, oh. I thought to myself, I'm just making one up. Okay. I'm making it up. Angus, why not? Well, that's a good one. Um, you know, would watch. Would watch the shit out of that. Uh, do you think the UFC would, like, them booking Patrick Angus Pimblett against Tony Ferguson felt like them kind of being like, let's see if we can't get this guy a, a win that people feel like he actually deserved and that came against somebody that they'd heard of after, you know, the last 
did he though kind of win that he went out and picked up? And so I I don't know. Would they then turn around and be like, and now it's Chase Hooper? Like I don't know if they want to be in the Chase Hooper business that bad, you know? Because I think he could be. He could go out there and beat Patty Pimlet. Um, I'd watch the hell out of that one though. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Next question this week comes to us from Darkwing Duck, who writes: Is there a chance, as is being suggested, that Patchy Mix is the best bantamweight in the world? Discuss. We have been throwing this around in the space this week since uh, Patchy Mix went out there at Bellator 301 and beat Sergio Pettis. Second round, rear, rear naked choke, a great performance. He won and unified the Bellator Bantamweight World Championship. Uh, let me lay on you, Ben, the, the names of the guys that Patchy Mix defeated as part of the Bellator Bantamweight World Grand Prix. Uh, he defeated Kyoji Horiguchi. Mm. Magomed Magomedov and Ralphion Stotts to win the Bellator World Grand Prix and the interim bantamweight champion. Then he turns around just a few months later. You know, he won the uh, won the tournament in April, comes back in November, fights Sergio Pettis, beats him by second round rear naked choke win. So a nice run, frankly, for Patchy Mix. Uh, Is he the best bantam in the bantamweight in the world? Well, that's that's one of the bugaboos here. Have having multiple uh, different organizations that refuse to co-promote. Well, one of them refuses to co-promote, and so we don't get these big super fights that we might otherwise like to have. Is Patchy Mix the best bantamweight on the planet? Uh, Sean O'Malley might have something to say about that, but I can tell you with with certainty that Patchy Mix is one of the best bantamweights on the planet. And for now, that's probably all we're gonna know. Yeah, yeah, and that is the thing is that when you look at a guy whose record is 19-1, you know, there's not too much information there to tell you absolutely he is not the best bantamweight on the planet. You just, it's hard to jump to that conclusion, especially when a guy comes in here riding a six-fight win streak, and of those six fights, which, as you said, includes some good names, including a guy with not one but two Magomeds in his name, the only one of those six fights that went to the decision was the one against the Gooch, Kyoji Horiguchi. Everybody else, he manages to go out there and finish uh, and doesn't need to go back past round three in any of them. So that looks pretty good. And it is a little frustrating to think that, okay, you might have somebody who could plausibly claim to be the best in this weight class and you'll never get to find out because we're just, there's a hard barrier there that we're not going to cross probably until five years after somebody's prime and they get signed to a different organization or something. Uh, but I tell you what, as I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about when we get into our PFL Bellator conversation, it sure doesn't hurt to at least be able to get people to have the conversation in, in some of these weight classes to at least get people to be like, Hey, look, you know, and we know that it's plausible that this guy could beat the UFC's guy in this weight class. Uh, that's exactly the kind of debate you want people having because it just gets you in the conversation, which is more than half the battle for PFL Bellator right now. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from John Mooney, who writes, were you surprised by AJ McKee's approach on Friday night at Bellator 301? He came out in the first and got taken down off a body kick. Fair enough. He was held down, but did his best to do damage from the bottom. And then in the second, he came out and after 30 or 40 seconds threw a body kick. And guess what happened? Then in the third, he came out and actually tried to take down Sidney Outlaw, and the same pattern repeated. Pattern repeated. Now, he clearly won the fight, as he was the only one doing damage, as Outlaw was doing a lot of holding, but his fight IQ was, in my opinion, poor, and seems like he isn't smoking guys at lightweight the same way he was at featherweight. What's his future, given the situation in Bellator? Now, first of all, you see these news, this, these news reports out this week that, that A.J. McKee seems legitimately a, li- a little bereft about the demise of Bellator. You know, that's he's a Bellator guy, practically born and raised out there in the Bellator cage. It seems like, you know, it's a I'm sure he's got he's got a bright future, right? He's going to go somewhere and do something. And but he's, you know, just a little bit a little bit bittersweet maybe for AJ McKee to depart Bellator here. You know, I'm glad somebody is bereft 
on Bellator's behalf. It's we were talking just last week on the I believe on the Power Hour we were talking about sort of the lack of eulogizing for Bellator. That usually when a promotion seems like it's going away, we saw it with Strike Force. We definitely saw it with Pride, especially in the aftermath. But there's as soon as it's going to be no more, there's a lot of love for the thing and a lot of affection from MMA fans. And it didn't really feel like we were getting that leading up to this Bellator event. So to have somebody who, uh, born and raised in Bellator, be like, damn, this one hurts, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad that, that somebody like that would, would... As for the Fight IQ question, I mean, again, I think that... It's it's hard to look at a guy who has gone his entire pro career and only lost to Patricio Pitbull one out of two times that he faced him, and have too much criticism. You know, like maybe right. like is that the way you draw it up against Sydney Outlaw? Probably not. But you go out there and you get the win and you move on. So I don't know. I, I can't sit here and be like, AJ McKee sucks, actually, because shit, <laughs> he keeps fucking winning. Yeah. I do think, however, that he seemed like he was on a bullet train to the top. Everybody was talking about AJ McKee uh, after he wins the featherweight uh, world championship and the Grand Prix back in July of 2021, his first win over Patricio Pitbull in their initial fight. And then he lost to Pitbull, as you said, in April of the following year he's put up put together three wins in a row since then but i kind of feel like he never got all that momentum back he never yeah. recaptured the imagination or the spotlight whatever you want to say in the mma world since then now could he still absolutely this guy's 28 years old obviously he's he's an incredible fighter uh he comes from a terrific mma lineage with antonio mckee as his dad he's got a lot of open field still in front of him a lot of green grass he could he could still improve leaps and bounds and become a you know an even better fighter an even greater fighter and so while i agree that maybe he has i don't even want to say lost a step he's just lost a little bit of momentum in the public eye he's he's still got a real bright future in front of him yeah last question this week comes to us from david e lotteray who writes i haven't heard anyone really talk about this but Will being on the workout shelf for several months cause John Jones to lose whatever extra muscle mass he put on in the last couple of years? Would he realistically be able to gain it back in time for a heavyweight fight? Or will he naturally revert to light heavyweight size John Jones? Wouldn't be the worst time to put the old singlet on and head down south, if you know what I mean. Uh, this, is a, this is a fairly interesting question, but my, my initial take would be that John Jones was probably already cutting a fair amount of weight to get down to 205 in the first place. Yeah, but it, it is a fair question in the sense that he made kind of a big deal about how much time and energy and effort was going in to building himself a heavyweight body. Mm -hmm. I mean... Is it just leg day all the time now? Leg day every day for John Jones? Hey, he tore the pectoral. Let, let, wouldn't be the worst be thing honest. could happen. Yeah, it wouldn't be the worst thing for him if he just had to do legs for the next eight months, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because it, it is. And you wouldn't have to make too big a leap to go, hey, maybe all your focus on getting bigger and jacking that weight plays a role in you suffering a pectoral injury. But uh, I don't know. I I will be very interested to see what the timeline for return actually looks like here. Because in some senses, timing is an issue if you're still going to try to book him against old-ass Stipe. Yeah. Especially yeah. not only because Stipe not getting any younger, but also because the further out you go, the less interest there is going to be. Especially when somebody is like Tom Aspinall is in the mix, people are going to be calling for that more than they are to see finally can we get this John Jones Stipe fight um, but also just that like if you're John Jones and you're kind of at this important crossroads where maybe this will be your last fight maybe you'll just claim that this is your last fight whatever it's the one that's supposed to cement you as the UFC heavyweight champ you don't want to rush back too soon yeah from some some from a serious injury for that we'll get him out here doing calf raises Tons we'll have him doing deadlifts. Mm -hmm. We'll have him doing lunges. Mad lunges. We'll have him doing Romanian deadlift. Whoa, whoa. We'll have yeah. him doing glute bridges. 
Brazilian deadlift. Just a, a deadlift for every continent. <laughs> we'll have them doing hack squats. We'll have them doing barbell thrusters. Can we do something where we put the chain on the bar? <laughs> we'll have them doing pause squats and sumo deadlifts. Yeah. We'll have them doing leg raises. Well, it's still going. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it this week for listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern for the co-main event podcast, you know how to get at us. Go to comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Important question for you, Ben. Have you begun thinking about holiday gifts for the people in your life? Uh, naturally. I just assumed I'd put it off until it's too late to get anything good in time, and then I'd feel consumed by regret and shame. Why, did you have a better idea? In fact, I do. You could go ahead and scoop up some Fulton & Rourke products. Seeing as how they are offering everything from gift sets to solid fragrances, even a bar of soap that'll last you until Valentine's Day. Starting this Thursday, they also have some Black Friday deals. But here's the thing, and I'm not even sure I should say this, but their biggest Black Friday discount, it's still not as good as the 20% discount that CME listeners can get any day of the week if you just roll up there and use the promo code CME20. Now, that's interesting. That's what you, Why is that, Chad? <laughs> Well, obviously, it's because they love the Co-Maniacs most of all. If you're looking for a great scent for the holidays, we recommend checking out Calle Ocho. It's a warm mix of aged rum, tobacco leaf, and sandalwood. It's perfect for colder weather. Check it out at FultonandRourke.com. That's FultonandRourke.com. And do not forget to use your promo code CME20. That's CME20. Well, Ben, I mentioned the irony at the top of the show, but I do just want to point out again that in the final uh, event of Bellator, perhaps as we know it, we crowned two new chap champions, Patchy Mix at Bantamweight, defeating Sergio Pettis, and Jason Jackson at Welterweight, defeating Yaroslav Amoslav to become the champions there. Uh, we also went ahead and set up the final of the Bellator uh, lightweight Grand Prix. Alexander Shabili beat Patricky Pitbull to advance to, to that. Uh, in theory, perhaps we still have a, another semifinal coming up, but we're led to believe this could be it for Bellator. The PFL sale finalized, released today, confirmed today. So we don't totally know what the future of this company is, despite the fact that the PFL is at least making overtures to the effect that Bellator will continue as part, what do they call it? The Bellator International Championship Series? International it's, Champion Series. International A reimagined Bellator. Reimagining Bellator, a reboot, you might say. I guess my first question is, are you buying that? Because we have heard this before, you know, as it relates to other companies that they, you know, whoever bought them is going to, they'll be fine, business as usual, carry on, continue to run the company, and usually it's horseshit. Are you buying this from the PFL? Short answer, no. Uh, I did see it being mentioned that, uh, you know, because first of all, when you whenever you hear the thing of like we bought this competitor and we're going to continue to run it as a separate brand, you okay? Well, you would be the first one that actually did it that way, uh, rather than you know claiming to do it that way and then abandoning that plan. Now, uh, I do think it's interesting. Some of the stuff that we've heard them say, the possibility has been raised that I saw online that, hey, they have broadcast agreements, especially overseas. Bellator still has these broadcast agreements in place. And so you're basically going to keep running it through 2024 to satisfy those agreements yeah. and then maybe get rid of it. Uh, now, the big homie Rodrigo Del Campo uh, posted this on Twitter where he went, he's getting this news from goddamn LinkedIn. He goes over to Don Davis, the PFL chairman's uh, LinkedIn page, and sees his post 
kind of laying out what the plan is for this, uh, which is for Bellator to be a quote-unquote one-off event product, like eight events a year, like kind of just like a set series of like Bellator fights. Um, And then we're going to try to do champions versus champions. Now, the champions versus champions thing, I think, actually is a kind of smart idea if you already come into this situation you know, why throw belts in the trash when they are more gold for you to put on the posters? Yeah. We know how people love that. Plus, you tell MMA fans a PFL title is going up for grabs and they go, okay. And you tell them a champion from one organization is going to fight a champion from another one. And they go, I don't even care if I know who the two champions are. That sounds like a kind of a big deal. Yeah. You can you can just w- do way more with that promotionally. So you might as well do something like that. As far as do I see us sitting here in three, four years' time with Bellator still being a going concern run by PFL? Ain't no way. Yeah. You know it. I know it. The American people know it. Isn't it a little strange and perhaps telling that the tweet, the official tweet from Bellator, the official corporate account, tweets out this this tweet that says, we are now part of the PFL family? It's interesting. Yeah. And then the story they link to is a Financial Times story, Dateline Dubai, wherein the headline says, Saudi Arabia-backed mixed martial arts league challenges UFC with Bellator deal. Not linking to MMA fighting, not linking to MMA junkie, not linking to Yahoo, even, you know, not CNN, anything like that. Financial Times, Dateline Dubai is the official story that Bellator posts. Yeah, okay. See, I thought that was interesting too because not only are you pointing outside the MMA bubble for this news and it seems like, okay, they're pretty proud, I'm sure. You know, they come in a bunch of money men running an MMA organization. They get pretty psyched probably about a story in the Financial Times more than they get excited about a story on MMA mania. You know, so I get it. I get it to some extent. But it was interesting how the headline and how the the story itself framed PFL for people who, you know, an audience that is not fight fans. And so baby has never heard of PFL. And so they go, Saudi-backed fight promotion, which is supposed to meant to communicate to you, they have money. They There's money behind this thing. And the money from the kind of people who have money to burn and are throwing it around in the sports space. Therefore... It's a big deal, a deal worthy of the Financial Times readership interest because of the money behind it. That's that's the thing you're trying to communicate there, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess you are. Uh, all right, here's here's the meat of it for me. How strong does this make the PFL? Assuming that we eventually come to recognize both of these companies under the same banner, that it's all the PFL moving forward. How strong does this make the PFL? You add, you know, you add guys like Johnny Eblen, AJ McKee, Patchy Mix, who we talked about, Vadim Nemkov, Usman Nurmagomedov, the Pitbull brothers, uh, Corey Anderson, Yaroslav Amasov, who obviously just lost, but, but is a well-regarded fighter. Chris Cyborg is over there. Uh, Alima Lee McFarland, Leah McCourt, you know, some, some, uh, some up and coming people, Sergio Pettis, Danny Sabatello, just Aaron Pico is one of these fighters probably should have mentioned him a lot sooner, but you know, if assuming that these guys can go back and forth now between Bellator and the PFL, how strong does this make that company? What kind of contender does it make that company? I mean, you definitely got to think that it's an addition that really helps just because of how many of those people MMA fans have heard of and how many interesting fights that you could book that gets you across that threshold that is the big barrier for any organization not named the UFC, which is come up with a fighter pairing, a fight card with enough names on it that makes us go, oh shit, okay, what time is that on? Yeah, And not just like, I'll happen to see it or you know, I'll find out what happened later. Like get us to think of it as appointment viewing, something that we definitely don't want to miss. And they can do it now through like a collective power 
of all those fighters. Whereas before, what you what the PFL has been able to do is having one or two fighters here or there that we care about and not always matched up against anybody else that we care about. Like, where we noted before, the thing that made the hugest difference for their search results is any fight card that had Kayla Harrison on it. And then if you didn't have Kayla Harrison, the numbers plummeted. And now you have a whole bunch more people where you can just make some combinations there that will get people's attention. And that's... That's the biggest challenge, really, for anybody who is trying to run any other MMA organization. Now, I saw in sort of the press release language and everything that we're doing, we're going to go ahead and kind of swing for the fences with the claims we're making, saying that you take two number twos and you put them together and you get basically a mega competitor for the UFC. I don't know about that. I don't know if the UFC wakes up to this news and goes, oh, shit, this is for real now. I think the USC still feels like the gap between one and two is so vast that even if two gets stronger, eh, okay. Right. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to knock the UFC off the pedestal anytime soon, if ever. But at the same time, this does seem like a big deal to me, especially if the PFL is going to be in a place where I can easily watch it. If it's going to continue being on ESPN+, Plus, which I already have, and they're not asking me to add yet another streamer to my collection, pay another entrance fee to watch another MMA organization. If it's just on and they're going to have some quote unquote super fights between, as we mentioned, guys like patchy mix who might be among the best bantamweights on the planet. I will watch that. I will make a point to watch it. And that is more than I could have said for Bellator during its last couple of years when it was hidden behind yet another paywall, you know, it's over on showtime. In my opinion, it wasn't always, uh, widely advertised when and where stuff was going to happen. And so I missed it a lot of the times. And yet whenever I tuned into Bellator, for the most part, I ended up thinking like, oh, you know, this is, they have good fighters. Like this is not a bad product. So if you put that in a place where it is more accessible to me than it used to be, I will probably watch it. And I don't know if I want to say that that's a slippery slope for the UFC, or I don't know. I don't know if I want to say that the gap is is narrower than perhaps they think it is. But I also think it's significant if there is another organization out there that puts on relevant fights that everyone can easily watch. Yeah, I think that that's that shouldn't be underestimated because that's that's not insignificant. I don't think. And if you have a Saudi-backed organization that could negotiate for some of these free agents when they get up and maybe move fighter pay. Just inch it up a little bit, gradually. Yeah. yeah. Is this the end of the line for Scotty Cokes? We talked about this last week on uh, the Power Hour over behind the Patreon page, but do we? is this another UFC situation where we take Scotty Cokes on as the head of a zombie organization and basically just send him home to play Angry Birds for the next two years? Or do we see Scott Coker emerge yet again somewhere else to continue running some MMA organization at some level, or does he just go back to California and while away the golden years here? You know, I saw some quote from Don Davis, I believe, talking about how there was an offer for Scotty Cokes and his team to join the PFL, to, to join this new thing in some sense. Uh, he, he seems like he's got enough knowledge about MMA promotion at this point that it'd be a shame not to at least pick his brain a little bit, not to have him on the inside helping you out a little bit where he can. I don't know if he wants that. I don't know. Maybe maybe Scotty Cokes feels like he could relax for a while. He, he Maybe he doesn't need to be worrying about this shit anymore. Uh, I wouldn't blame him if he felt that way at this point, but there's a part of me that wants to see Scotty Cokes stay involved. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Chad... Have you heard this wild-ass story about the fighters and coach getting involved in a brawl at the UFC PI? Yes, this was also going to be my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? So we have a joint Are You Fucking Kidding Me? You can go go ahead, and then if you don't cover the ground that I want to cover, I'll add my two cents as well. Well, I mean, the... It starts out just kind of being wild enough where you're like, any two fighters getting in a brawl at the PI? I mean, for one thing... Not exactly unprecedented. The shit has is is a little bit precedented, uh, and a little you know when they built the PI, they must have been like, well, it's only a matter of time for somebody goes in here and starts throwing hands. But the story th- th- gets weird 
where we get the coach involved. Yeah. You know, you get two female fighters. You get Jocelyn Edwards and Aylan Perez. And uh, then we hear that it's Perez's coach who hit, maybe maybe punched Jocelyn Edwards at some point. Uh, they get, they're beefing with each other. Uh, the place where I get really interested is where Alex Davis, MMA manager yeah. for many, many years, Alex Davis shows up as sort of a third party where it seems like, you know, he doesn't really have anybody in this one. He just sort of got involved because he was there, happened yeah. to see it, and is going to give yeah. his version of events. Here's the quote that I love from him where he's talking about seeing this fight. I was sitting on the large octagon inside the PI looking at my phone when I heard yelling to my right. When I approached the cage, I saw Aylin and her coach on top of Jocelyn, so jumped in to break up the fight. When I went to help out and saw the male coach choking Jocelyn with a rear naked choke, and it was very deep. Now, say, I'm going to pause here <laughs> because I appreciate he's, you know, he's recounting to you a fight where we're trying to kind of assess blame, basically, who's responsible for the fight, who behaved poorly. But we're also going to give you a big MMA commentary, basically, yeah. that when the coach went to choke her, he had it in there pretty deep. He was tr he was cranking on the uh, the choke, Davis says. If the choke was held on for much longer, it would have been a terrible scene. I'm not sure if she was fully unconscious, but she was close. When I got the coach off of Jocelyn, the coach was ranting and yelling, trying to continue the fight. I was trying to calm Jocelyn down because she thought she was still fighting. Now, this I love how everything about it seems like an MMA fight that you can picture going on, except that it's a male coach on a female fighter. And yeah. what the hell are you doing, bro? Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? Agreed. Now here's what I was going to add also on the Alex Davis front that he later tweets out. Uh, I just, the guy's name is, is Javier. I don't know how to pronounce his last name or Zabal, something like that. He says, Here's Alex Davis's tweet. He said, I just ran into Javier at the event hotel. This guy confronted me with his group of friends trying to call me a liar, trying to scare me, exclamation point. You are a coward. You have no business being among us. I am too old to be fighting scumbags in hotel lobbies, but fuck you, you asshole. To which I say, are you fucking kidding me? How are you going to try to fight Alex Davis in a hotel hallway, man? Yeah. Like, this is basically one of the venerable old grandpas of MMA just out here. It even says in his bio, former Brazilian jujitsu practitioner. Like this guy's hung it up, man. He's, he's, he's just trying to manage fighters. He's out here, uh, trying to do his job, breaking up a fight at the goddamn PI, which I feel like is understandable. If you saw one happening, how are you going to try to boss up on Alex Davis, man? That's just shameful. You fucking kidding me? How are you going to do that? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, Chad, Brendan Allen went out there and made it look pretty goddamn easy on Saturday night when he submitted Paul Craig in the third round with a rear naked choke. This after you know, pretty well dominating Paul Craig on the ground, which is not a thing a whole lot of people manage to do, especially when Paul Craig gets to be the bigger dude at middleweight, as he has been for a couple fights now. Brendan Allen... This was kind of a showcase fight for him. Came in as a pretty hefty favorite. I believe he was around a 4-1 to one favorite. But to go in there, to beat up Paul Craig a little bit, sliced him open with an elbow, got the submission on a guy who knows his way around some submissions. What do you think this means for a dude like Brendan Allen? Is this the fight where people go, okay, we will remember the name, take this guy seriously, get excited about his future? Uh, or is it hurt by being on one of those fight night events where a whole lot of people probably were like, eh, I could skip this one. Well, he, he runs his win streak to six, which is 
not to be underestimated. I believe he is tied with DDP for the longest middleweight win streak now, which is, you know, somewhat important, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things at 185 pounds. You were right. I think he finished at plus 330 over Paul Craig. So this is not as though it was an unexpected turnout of a, you know, an unexpected outcome here with Brendan Allen winning, but he did make it look easy. He looked good in the main event of this fight night. And so we got to hand it to him in that. But again, right now, middleweight, it's not an exact carbon copy of lightweight, but they kind of have a thing going at the top of the middleweight division where it seems like there is a select group of contenders who are in the mix for title shots. And some of these younger guys, some of these guys uh, who are still coming up have a ways to go before they break into real contender status. Not necessarily in the cage, because I feel like these guys may be just as good as the guys who are at the top, but it just seems like perception-wise and what the UFC is willing to promote, these guys have a little ways to go. And it seems like Brendan Allen is one of those guys. And it just reminds me over and over again how many guys the UFC has. Because they have, you know, across many different weight classes, they have, what, 10 Brendan Allens? 20 Brendan Allens? So many Brendan Allens, sometimes you can't even tell them apart. 23 and 5, long win streak, uh, 27 years old, comes from a great camp. And, yeah, they just have, you can't swing a dead cat in the UFC without hitting a guy like that. It's almost like there are two circuits. Like, you have the championship circuit of all these guys you know. And then you have these really, really good fighters who are still sort of uh, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to get some uh, opportunity and attention and all this other stuff. So like Brandon Allen, this is a great win from him. He nudges ahead in terms of that uh, struggle. I think he came into this fight rated number 10 in the middleweight division. So he's knocking on the door. But it just seems like there are these two tiers of guys in the UFC. And I would still say that even though he's plenty good enough probably to be in the A tier, he's probably still in the B tier. Yeah, he also, though, does kind of have time on his side, right? I mean, Brendan Allen, uh, right now, 27-year-old dude, we've turned 28 in uh, December. Uh, but to be sitting there at that point, you know, uh, having been in the UFC now for, what, around four years or so uh it's that's a respectable arc where it seems like he's still getting better when you see him it seems like he still has uh, a lot of improvements that he can make but also seems like fighting with a ton of confidence out there um and he also when you look around at who else you have at middleweight and what kind of fighting styles and stuff you see at middleweight he does seem to bring a little something different to the table and I like that possibility. I mean, especially because you get him in there against some of those higher ranked guys, and you could see like just interesting stylistic matchups that might well go his way. Yeah. I know you want to talk about the calf slicer. Yeah. Right here, Mr. Jiu Jitsu, Mr. Grappling. This is about uh, Paul Craig's one offensive move that he pulled off in this fight was a, he tried for a calf slicer that. Looked like it was, you know, looked like he had it, but then Brendan Allen defended well, spun out of it, got into a heel hook scenario that allowed him to to get out of it and get back on top. But, you know, I'm not going to argue with some guy trying to pull out a calf slicer in, no. the, in the main event. I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting there. I've, my eyes have borderline glazed over from all the UFC that has already happened. And then suddenly calf slicer. Well, now you have my attention. Well, yeah. And especially Paul Craig's jujitsu game. It has to be a little opportunistic because he's not always necessarily, it's not like he is dominating people by takedown, uh, improving position, you know, solidifying position and grabbing the submission. He has to sometimes be able to pull some stuff off from his back, places where you don't expect it. He's been able to do that pretty successfully at times in his UFC career. And you're right, it was the closest thing he had to a moment in this fight. And Brendan Allen wisely remembers that, you know, kind of like when you look into the void, the void also looks into you, Chad. It's like the guy who's going after your legs and leg lock also needs to think about where his own legs are at that point. And so it was honestly, especially for me, one of the more interesting exchanges in the fight is where we're yeah. both just fucking around with various leg locks uh, back and forth on each other. And you could tell what what fighting nerds 
the commentators are here by because at some point you know they have this exchange they're going back and forth they get up and I think it was uh, Brendan Fitzgerald who was like this is what we came for and it's just like <laughs> can you imagine somebody who's not a, like a big time MMA fan being like really that was it I was under the impression we were just like leaving each other's heads cracked open all types of blood leaking out of his head God and instead you're telling me that what you're excited about is two guys taking turns grabbing onto various parts of each other's legs yeah okay well i mean if josh barnett was watching he was probably pumped yeah josh barnett was leonardo dicaprio pointing at the street the screen (laughs) gif at that point uh you know the brenda the finish of this thing which they showed in slow motion after the fight was over was just nasty going i think he went left hook to the body then upstairs with the right hand to floor paul craig and then he locks in the choke and, and gets the finish that was just a a hell of a sequence there from Brendan Allen. And I think showed us a little bit of what he's capable of. Another thing that he was capable of was putting on a fur cap. Yep. That looked like he was about to jump on a dog sled in order to get home after leaving the arena. And, you know, cuts a fairly capable promo in the aftermath of this thing. He called Kamzat Chemayev, come shot Chemayev. Uh, And there's that. So I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can endorse everything he said. But it wasn't bad for a guy who's out here trying to make waves, trying to get people to to remember him. It wasn't bad at all. You know, one thing I learned from that interview, Brendan Allen, he's going to he's going to speak up for his boys. Yes, he got was. a lot that of boys. Was, that was the most uh, uh, relatable and touching thing about it. I thought was that he made to made sure to mention his guy who's going to cause problems at 205. Let's get him in here. It was just one sentence after other. My boy, this guy. My boy, that guy. That my boy. You were just like, hell yeah. I mean, here's where it pays off to be boys with Brendan Allen. He's going to get your name on the broadcast even though you didn't fight. 100%. 100%. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. Let's go ahead and move on to round number three. Well, Ben, I'm going to start off round number three with this question that we got from Eric in Toronto, who writes, fellas, I'm troubled by the heavyweight title picture at the moment. John Jones might be out for eight months, a year, four years, infinity, who knows? Henry Cejudo's saying he wants to see Jones next for Tom Aspinall. Dana White's still talking about John versus Stipe next. Aspinall's out here talking about gone versus Almeida. Isn't Big Tom missing a golden opportunity? He could be the first interim champ to actually defend his belt since Henenborough? Please discuss. Thank you. Now, we do have a bit of a mess up here yeah. at Heavyweight, and frankly, Heavyweight is no stranger to having a mess. So we've kind of we've kind of segued back into the default setting of heavyweight here to just have a mess at the top of the division. But with John Jones out and apparently still going to fight Stipe Miocic and Jailton Almeida still a little bit on the come up here at heavyweight and Sergey Pavlovich having just been dispatched by Tom Aspinall. What do we do here? What's the way forward at heavyweight at the moment? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing to know would be what the timeline is actually going to be for a John Jones return. Because if it's going to be a long time, I could see you making a case for just being like, we can't have Tom Aspinall as an interim champion for a year. You know, like you want, especially at a time where you have the rare problem of having too many interesting heavyweights especially young heavyweights and you could do some stuff. And so you don't want to just be sitting around, especially still talking like the fight we're going to make once everybody is healthy doesn't even involve Tom Aspinall. So what are we even doing? What was the interim belt for? Was it just put gold on one poster? Don't you sure shit wasn't because we felt like we were going to need five rounds. I'll tell you that much. Uh, When Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich went on there and fought. So, I don't know. You, it does seem like you need to know when you could be actually looking at having John Jones back so that, you know, like if it's a waste of time to just sit around here and pretend like the heavyweight title fight is still going to be something completely different. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that the UFC had made an interim title just so it could have some gold on the poster. 
I don't think, would be uh, kind of business as usual for the UFC. But you're right. It does seem very weird to have an interim title fight and then an interim champion if you are still going to have a different title fight when the champion returns. If John Jones versus Deepa Miocic is going to be a fight for the regular old heavyweight championship, then it didn't really make sense for you have to have an interim championship because as we have said before, when things like this have happened, what you really had was a number one contender fight. Yeah. And you decided, you decided to put the belt on the number one contender for the time being. And that is not to undermine anything that Tom Aspinall has done. All he can do is fight the fights that are available to him. And if they're like, hey, Tom, here's the interim title, far be it from him to be like, nah, I'm good. Don't want it. Yeah. I'm doing okay. I'll just wait to get my hands on the gold. Because... I mean, at least if you've got the interim title, you are in most cases somewhat assured of eventually fighting for the actual title, uh, which in the UFC, man, you better take any assurance that you can yeah. that you are going to get the fight that you want at some point. Uh, so that there is all that. I wanted to get to this quote here by Tom Aspinall, who is the ink is barely dry on the fight card where he won the interim heavyweight championship. And here he is on the Michael Bisping podcast over on YouTube talking about stripping John Jones of the title. He says, I think John Jones should be stripped from the title, to be honest, because everyone else does when they get injured like that. I don't see why he's still got it. I don't understand that. I should be the real champion now. Uh, it's it's hard to say without san- sounding rude, but who's about John Jones and Stipe Miocic anymore? Why do we get this legacy fight and they get to live uh, by their own rules. What's a legacy fight? A retirement fight for a title? I want to fight Stipe, and then I want to fight John Jones. I think all this other stuff is rubbish. Stop protecting him now. Stop protecting your boy John uh, Jones at the top. If he's injured, get out of the way, and I'll fight Stipe. So, you know, realizing he's in a position where he can make some statements and perhaps try to make some demands. Here's your guy, Tom Aspinall, going out and doing just that, which I understand. Again, you get you get in that position in the UFC, man, maybe you should take it. Because there's no guarantee that you will be there for very long or you will be back again. And so I guess my only question is, is he right? You know, I appreciate he doesn't want to be rude. He, <laughs> he understands. That's hard. Look, man, to, he to, doesn't want to be rude. But yeah. if there's some rubbish, Tom Aspinall is going to call out that rubbish. He once again runs into the familiar problem of how to tell the truth without being rude. And I think that he walked the line actually pretty well here because it's hard to disagree with a lot of what he's saying. Like, why are we holding on for this fight, which the further out we get from the original plan for Stipe versus Jones, the less compelling it starts to feel. Especially when you went and created an interim title, had two meaty men slapping meat. Tom Aspinall gets the knockout. People are excited. They were they want to go, okay, now what? What do we do with Tom Aspinall now? And if your answer is going to be have him wait a year and a half to fight the winner of Stipe versus Jones, who, by the way, depending on how that one goes and how the breaks go, the winner, either way, might retire. And then you will have Tom Aspinall sit around in his prime for what? Like, that that just doesn't make any sense. So I totally get what he's saying. He's also wise as far as how the UFC likes to treat these situations to position himself in the, the place of saying, I'll fight whoever in the meantime. Oh, John Jones going to be out. You can't do that Stipe fight. Stipe wants to fight somebody with a belt around their waist. Give him to me. I'll fight Stipe. Uh, you know, fight somebody else, whatever. Like that, I think, is a, a wise way to go about it because I think that right now, what people are going to be most excited about is seeing Tom Aspinall get in there because young heavyweight, a lot of momentum. You want to see how far he can go. Well, it would have been an insult to ask Steve Miocic to Mm -hmm. take part in an interim title fight, Ben. I don't know if you heard that. I did hear that. I didn't believe it then. I don't (laughs) believe it now. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when Steve Miocic came out later and was basically like, I would have done it. (laughs) I don't know why they didn't ask me. I would have done it in a heartbeat. Anyway, fun times at heavyweight, albeit uh, perhaps unclear times. All right, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, I know we talked about this last week behind the behind the Patreon page, but I did want to bring it up again. And this week, I'm just saying, 
Thank God for dudes like Bill Burr. Oh, see, this wife. was going to be my just say. We got a joint. Are you fucking kidding me? And a joint just saying stuff. Maybe it says something about the headlines this week, but we can both chime in here. Thank God for guys like Bill Burr and his wife, actress Nia Renee Hill, out here flipping the double bird to Donald Trump as he walks into the recent UFC pay-per-view. And as I was reminded by an email this week, I can't remember who we got it from, but uh, that it's the double bird. But around these parts, we might just refer to it as the Stockton Hey Buddy. Yep. That's what we were doing out here. Bill Burr, he goes on the Rich Eisen show. And he says, quote, I love my wife. You know where you stand with her. This guy walked in the arena. Everybody cheered. She gave him the finger. Nobody got arrested. That's why this country's great. Everybody expressed themselves. Can we all be adults? He says, I don't know about you, but I came there to go to the fights. I didn't know I was going to the Republican National Convention. Yeah. So here we are in the UFC where you're allowed to say and do whatever you want. So thank God that Bill Burr is out here and his wife flipping the double bird to cast at least a dissenting opinion for having some of the worst people in the country walk out yeah. and be hailed by the audience. Yeah, I, and I do appreciate him giving us that perspective of saying, you know, hey, I came to watch some dudes fight in a cage and then the four horsemen of the Republican apocalypse come walking out and we're making a great big deal about it. And you're looking over and being like, okay, that seems like we're certainly taking a political side here and trying to make a statement. I, I didn't know that's what's going on. Um, but also I appreciate his, his comment, a point that's been made before, but I'm just saying is still a relevant one. It's like those Trump guys, they're always going, you snowflakes, F your feelings, and all that. And then when you make fun of Trump, they're like, oh my God, that's so disrespectful. Which, <laughs> yeah. it's It reminds me of some other people who we talk about sometimes who like to make sure that there are never any, any standards applied to their behavior, their speech, anything like that. But when somebody they don't like is saying something, maybe somebody toward, toward them, then they suddenly have a lot of thoughts as to who should be allowed to say what. I'm just yeah. saying. I just wish these scumbags in the media would keep politics out of MMA. Yeah, they're that's ruining it. Wish. Ruining it. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. We'll have a shortened week over on the Patreon. Uh, I think we're going to have... Uh, Wednesday's live chat and then Thursday we'll have a special episode of doing very special where we recount our experience going out to the Montana Grizzlies versus Montana State Bobcats in the big rivalry game last a live scene report special guests live all kinds of stuff indeed so we'll have that and then I think we'll take Friday off due to Thanksgiving but we'll be back right here a week from today for the proper and then a whole additional week of Patreon content. So check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. Are you going to double up? Are you going to prime rib it for Thanksgiving and then prime rib again for Christmas? Or are you going to no. come up with a gonna come up with a different? Do something totally different for Christmas. Because, see, I would not argue with back-to-back prime ribs. But also... I mean, you can't do the prime rib all the time, man. You've got your body to make up, especially you with the summer. Just coming off the summer swole, yeah. uh, you gotta, you got to maintain. you got to maintain your gains, brother. The summer swole took a hit during the fall of uh, respiratory illnesses thanks to the public school system. But, yeah, don't worry. We're getting back on it. Yeah, you'll be back. You'll be back.